0: Well, welcome to this episode of the St. Mary's Family Medicine Podcast. This is Mark Colley. Today's podcast will be focused on the oral diabetic medications. I'll be joined today by one of our clinical pharmacists, Dr. Lisa Doe. You may remember her from our previous podcast on CHF meds. Dr. Doe serves many different roles, including working within our family medicine residency. Lisa, welcome back.
1: Thanks for having <laughs> me again.
0: Good. So this podcast will be more on the oral diabetic medications. We'll do a second part that will focus on the injectable diabetic medications as well. In my past experiences, it's always been very helpful to speak with our clinical pharmacists regarding any medications because you tend to have a little bit more insight and perspective uh, on these medicines. So... What we'll do is we'll go through each class of the medicines and discuss them. Uh, This may seem more like a first-year medical school lecture at times, but I'm hoping that in addition to some of the basics with each of these meds, we can also get into some of the finer details as well. So we will start with old faithful metformin. So Lisa, can you talk about the main mechanism of action for metformin and uh, what the expected A1C reduction would be with it?
1: Metformin inhibits production of glucose, decreases intestinal absorption of glucose, and also increases insulin sensitivity in the muscle and the fat. And the expected A1C reduction is 1%.
0: Okay. Um, So this is something that, you know, when I was in my residency in med school, even, you know, we were always told that once your creatinine hits 1.5, you know, you're starting to get into the contraindication to using metformin. However, uh, especially in our nursing homes, I'm getting notes from pharmacists that that's either 1.4 or in some cases 1.3. Can you speak to that a little
1: bit? Yeah, sure. So now oral diabetic medications are going towards using EGFR mm-hmm. across all oral diabetic medications. So the cutoff, the clear cutoff that I know is an EGFR of less than 30.
0: Mm-hmm. So if their GFR is less than 30, then it's the more of a relative contraindication to uh, stop that, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, the other thing that I've been seeing more recently with metformin is it's kind of being used off-label for weight loss or uh, appetite suppression. Can you talk about the effects that metformin has for that?
1: Sure. So. Typically when we think of metformin, it's a weight neutral oral diabetic medication. However, it can cause an initial weight loss reduction of about 0.5 to 0.7 kilograms, Mm -hmm. but it's an initial effect.
0: Sure. So after several months there should not see any benefit, which has been my experience uh, as well. All right. Any other uh, comments that you wanted to make for metformin?
1: Sure. Uh, Metformin is also useful to use in pre-diabetic patients. Mm -hmm. However, lifestyle has been shown to be more effective, so I would suggest lifestyle management first. Okay,
0: great. So next class that we'll move on to are the sulfonylureas. So can you talk again about the main mechanism of action for sulfonylureas and what's the expected A1C reduction that we can see with them?
1: sulfonylureas uh, stimulate pancreatic insulin secretion and the expected A1C reduction is 1% mm-hmm
0: and so this was something when I was uh, researching this topic I found interesting that I had always been taught that glomiparide or amaryl uh, the longer acting sulfonylureas were more of the first line however when I was reading a couple articles they actually recommended the short-acting uh, sulfonylureas can you talk to that a little bit
1: yes so the long-acting which is glyburide and um, they are non-specific and they bind to so they bind to pancreas beta cells as well as cardiomyocytes and that va- smooth muscle vascular cells as well and they cause higher risk of hypoglycemia mm-hmm. because they are long-acting while the short-acting glypozide is more specific to the pancreas beta cells so it causes less um, hypoglycemic as well
0: okay um, so a controversy with sulfonylureas that i've seen over the years is its role or possibly increase in cardiovascular risk is there a risk that's been proven with sulfonylureas of increase in cardiovascular disease
1: so there's no specific trials looking at it but We know that sulfonylureas do increase risk of hypoglycemia, which can lead to increased mortality. Okay. So so that's what I would consider.
0: Okay. Um, And then the other uh, thing with sulfonylureas is their risks with people with chronic kidney disease. What risks do those patients have?
1: So sulfonylureas are cleared by the kidney. So patients with chronic kidney disease, I would, um, especially with glyburide, I would not use them in chronic kidney disease and use with caution with like glipizide, Mm -hmm. but they can increase risk of hypoglycemia since they're not being cleared if -hmm. the patient has chronic kidney disease.
0: Do you have a GFR that usually you'll cut off for patients is like class three where it's 60 or is it higher than that, lower than that?
1: Um, specifically, I would say if the patient has an eGFR of less than 40, mm-hmm. then I would not use it. Okay.
0: And, you know, this is something else that I've seen, uh, is that I've seen sulfonylureas used with basal insulin. What are your thoughts on that?
1: That is a very gray area, but uh, typically we discontinue the basal insulin, however, the uh, ADA guidelines do say you can still keep the sulfonylurea, but I would uh, err on the side of caution and discontinue the sulfonylurea.
0: Yeah, that, it just never really made sense to me. It seemed like you're just, you know, doubling up on the same, uh, same mechanism of action. So any other thoughts that you had for sulfonylureas?
1: Uh, sulfonylureas do cause beta cell burnout. Mm-hmm. So I would limit the use of them for one to two years.
0: So you're saying after one to two years to stop and change to a different uh, diabetic medication? Yes. Okay. So the next class that we'll move to is the DPPV-4s. So we're talking Genuvia, dragenta and everything else in that class. So can you talk about their mech- mechanism of action and their expected A1C reduction?
1: Sure. So... They are a dipeptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitor, and they reduce the degradation of your endogenous GLP-1, which is an incretin hormone or a gut hormone. They primarily affect the uh, increase, decrease insulin secretion and also decrease glucose production. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, sorry, they increase glucose insulin secretion, decreased glucose production, and the expected A1C reduction is 0.5%.
0: So something that I found when, again, just researching this was that these medicines may have an effect on decreasing immunity.
1: So there is very mixed and limited data surrounding that. However, they have been shown to cause a uh, nasal pharyngitis at a rate of 5% and upper respiratory tract infections. But since the data is very limited, I would not, um, this is not something I would prevent the use of the DPP right. for. Not
0: something that we necessarily need to warn patients about yes. uh, with mm-hmm. that. Uh, any other thoughts that you had for this class of medicine?
1: I would not use uh, Angliza or in patients with heart failure as they did show to cause increased risk of heart failure mm-hmm. or hospitalizations due to heart failure.
0: Was it only Angliza that they found that on or was it the other medicines in that class too?
1: Angliza and Nasena okay showed to cause only those two.
0: Okay. Um, moving right along here, we'll move into the, the TZDs. Um, so, can you talk about their mechanism of action in the A1C reduction?
1: So, they increase insulin sensitivity in the muscle and fat. They must enter the cells to increase the glucose transporter, so, the effect may take up to six weeks. So, that's something I would consider when starting them. Mm-hmm. They are a PPAR gamma agonist. Uh, Actose, in particular, is nonspecific or also binds to PPAR alpha agonist, which is seen in also phenofibrates. So actose does have some effect in decreasing triglyceride as okay. well. Um, Avandia is a pure PPAR gamma agonist. Sure. And the A1C reduction is 0.8% with those.
0: Okay. So again, this is something that I, I found more than what I thought I knew. What are the contraindications to using TZDs?
1: So TZDs may cause edema, so mm-hmm. I would not use them in patients with heart failure. They specifically mention class NYHA, class 3 or 4 patients mm-hmm. with heart failure, and if the patient has hepatic impairment.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hepatic impairment was one that was uh, new to me. But uh, TZDs might be the most controversial oral diabetic uh, medicines, and I know I've personally gone back and forth with using Actos specifically. Uh Is there a proven increased risk of cardiovascular complications with uh, these medicines?
1: So uh, Avandia in particular has been shown to increase uh, risk of stroke, heart failure, and all-cause mortality, but uh, Actos does increase heart failure hospitalizations, but that's what's known right now.
0: Sure, and on a side note, if you ever wanna get really angry, just type in Avandia and look at all the lawsuits and see the uh, Uh, they basically hit a lot of clinical trials related to that cardiovascular risk while they were uh, marketing that medicine and ended up paying uh, quite a bit of money for that. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, Actos, I think this was back in my residency, there was starting to become more of a controversy that this potentially increased the risk of bladder cancer. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: So, um it's a very rare side effect about less than one percent or so but i wouldn't use it in patients with active or a history of bladder cancer um a fun fact the french and german Mm -hmm. they suspended the use of avandia because they believe the risk of the bladder cancer outweighs the benefits that it has
0: yeah I, i remember uh when that happened but and in reach research in this, I also found that there was some concern for possibly increased risk of pancreatic cancer with ectose, too. But from what the follow-up research stated is that it's something that's fairly negligible uh, as far as what I can see. Yes, um, Any other thoughts on the, the TZDs?
1: Yeah, so if um, the patient has a high A1C and you're expecting to... Reduce the A one C immediately. That's something I would consider with these, or starting a sulfonuria uh, temporarily until the T Z D takes effect. And
0: you said it takes about six weeks to start seeing the the full effect of it.
1: It can take up uh, four to six weeks.
0: Okay. So the the next uh, and last group of medicines I want to talk about are the uh, new kids on the block, the S G L T two inhibitors. So. Can you talk about their mechanism of action and what we can expect to see as far as an A1C reduction with them?
1: They block kidney, uh, glucose reabsorption and also, uh, increase glucosuria and the expected A1C reduction is 0.5%.
0: Okay. And I, I think you had even mentioned this, uh, when we talked about the CHF meds is the cardiovascular benefits of, uh, these medicines. So can you speak to those a little bit?
1: So, Jardiance has the most evidence surrounding its CV benefits. Um, it's shown to decrease three-point MACE, which was CV mortality, CV mortality non-fatal MI, non-fatal stroke, and heart failure hospitalization. Uh, also, Invocana showed this effect as well. Uh, Jardiance has shown to decrease all-cause mortality, and Jardiance and Invocana both showed a delay in the progression of microalbuminuria and uh, Farxiga showed to reduce heart failure hospitalizations and also delayed the onset of progression of chronic kidney disease
0: yeah very good uh and, and the other uh, well not just the other supposed benefit of uh, this class of medicine is the uh, weight loss reduction and blood pressure uh, reduction in that can you speak to those
1: yeah. So the weight loss reduction is about 1.5 kilograms It's mostly due to the diuretic effect that mm-hmm. it also has as well. It also has been shown to reduce systolic blood pressure about four to 10 milliliters of mercury. So it can also cause hypotension mm-hmm. as
0: well. Okay. Uh, Something that I've seen in several of my patients thus far uh, when we're talking about the uh, adverse effects of these medicines are the urinary tract infections. Can you talk about the adverse effects for the uh, SGLT2s?
1: Yeah, sure. So uh, Invokana in particular has been shown to uh, cause amputations. Um, so I wouldn't use it in patients with amputations. They do cause genital fungal Infections. Mm-hmm. I would not use it in patients who have recurrent genital fungal infections. They can also cause the hypotension, mm-hmm. uh, hyperkalemia.
0: Yeah, just what they I want to want to clarify. You said that it causes amputation. Does it increase the risk for amputation? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Increase the risk. Okay. Any other thoughts that you had for the SGLT2 inhibitors? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, So kind of the last thing that I want to talk to you about, you know, from the ADA guidelines, from what I can see, once you get past metformin in a patient with diabetes, there's no hard recommendations for where you go next and someone who still needs additional therapy. So as a pharmacist, once you've started a patient on metformin and they're still uncontrolled, what are your next steps as far as medication?
1: So if the patient uh, is not controlled say, three months on metformin, I would consider, there's a lot of things to consider, but if they have, like, cardiovascular disease, uh, Jardians is a good option to start. Um, Or you could start a GLP-1 agonist, as they also Mm -hmm. show CV benefits. Um, Other factors I would consider is patient preference, such as cost. Mm -hmm. So sulfonylureas are a cheap option. If the patient is young and doesn't require much a1c reduction uh, dpp4 or might be a good option mm-hmm. or if they're young without heart failure a tzd might be a good option so there's a lot of options yeah with those and,
0: and i found that um everybody seems to have a different approach i know from just from where my training was it was in a uh very, our our patient population generally was high Medicaid, high Medicare disability, so we tend to lean more towards the cheaper options, so I was always taught to try to go to the sulfonylureas next, but I found that as our population has changed here, uh, I've been making different choices and kind of trying to tailor it more to the the patient specifically. Well, that's... Uh, all I think that we wanted to cover with the oral diabetic medications. Uh, Our next podcast will discuss the injectable medications and as always if you have any topics that you want us to
1: cover or anybody you'd like us to talk to please let us know. Thank you.